The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Thursday, July 9th, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And before we get into it, I want to let you guys know that this podcast, the Eye on College Basketball Podcast, is up for a People's Choice Podcast Award. Best I can tell, it's a big deal. So what our bosses have asked us to do is ask you to help us by voting for the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. Could, could you do that? If so... Here's what you need to do. Go to podcastawards.com. That's podcastawards.com. Sign up. It takes like 15 seconds. Then you'll see the Ion College Basketball Podcast on the drop-down menu in the People's Choice category and in the Sports category. When you see it, please vote for the Ion College Basketball Podcast and save your votes, and that should do it. Easy stuff. Consider this me thanking you in advance. Again, that website is podcastawards.com podcastawards.com. All right, GP, good stuff. Please go and do this. I had a thought in the past 48 hours. GP doesn't know what I'm about to say here on the podcast, which is always how I prefer it. If we win, if we win, and we're up against, by the way, Pick 6, Brinson, our buddies at CBS. I mean, we got to smoke them. We have to, have to, have to. What would you say, and I'd like to get the listeners' feedback on this, if we made some sort of shirt proceeds to to a charity maybe you know maroon burgundy front of the shirt shouts to Devin Downey back of the shirt shouts to Chester South Carolina and that's the entire shirt what are, you, what are your thoughts on that maybe a little podcast garb we, we introduce it into the greater culture you up for I that would, I, I would like to have a Devin Downey shirt if that's if that's the question my answer is of course and given that uh, my wife is in the clothing business um i have a t-shirt maker so this is really very very easy to do i actually I did yeah i forgot about that yeah true. i, I could have it done in three days okay well <laughs> if you are a podcast listener and you would like to have a shouts to Devin downey shouts to chester south carolina shirt or maybe a terry and on the front he's the legend on the back something like that uh let us know but more importantly please go and vote and if you if you get us to win in this we will turn that very, very, very quickly. So um, I just, you know, it came to my mind, uh, oddly enough, when I was in the shower um, and hmm. figured, eh, you know, maybe it's something worth uh, pursuing there. So if, if you're a listener and would certainly rock that kind of thing, we are certainly up to try. But we'd like you to have us vote for us in those podcast awards and see if we can make a little noise here in the summer. 
Again, the website, podcastawards.com. Go check it out. It takes a matter. I've already done it. it I wouldn't be telling you to do something. It's going to take you seven minutes to do it. It, it doesn't take it – takes, it takes 30 seconds. Podcastawards.com. That's podcastawards.com. So, Norlander, the big news of the week is the Ivy League announcing that they will have no sports competing in the fall semester. And what that means as it pertains to the sport of college basketball is that no Ivy League programs, not Harvard, not Penn, not Yale, not any of them, going to play a college basketball game before January. And the Ivy League has added there is no guarantee they'll compete at all. So, Norlanda, here's the question. Is this just going to be an Ivy League thing, or is this a sign of what's to come for college athletics? Part of me thinks it's a sign for more of what's to come with college athletics, GP. I hope that I'm wrong on this front. Uh, I did speak with multiple Ivy League sources um, on Wednesday, uh, one of them being a head coach in the Ivy League for a men's basketball program. And there's actually – I spoke with uh, with multiple uh, coaches, assistants, and head coaches. There's still, like, weird room for interpretation at this point on the basketball side. The football side is what it is. The football – I think gains more headlines because of where we are on the calendar. Um, but as it was explained to me by multiple people, you know, football loses more money. It is a net, bigger net loss for the Ivy League than any other sport, which obviously makes sense when you consider everything that has to go into holding a football game, having a football program, and all of that stuff. Um, but people are waiting to see, okay, football hasn't been canceled yet. Would it be put on in the spring? I was told that's highly unlikely. And all of these things are interconnected at the Ivy League level because Ivy League athletic departments and institutions with their sports programs, uh, it's basically, it's it's always been an interesting dichotomy, GP. It's a mom and pop operation largely. You have these Ivy League institutions, eight of them, and those eight figure into, you know, the top 15 richest endowments among all American universities. But from an athletic standpoint, it's always been viewed for the most part as another piece of your college experience, but not the primary piece and not something that the Ivy League has ever sought to profit off of. The entire history of Ivy League sports is totally fascinating because the Ivy League was like the first football power going back more than 120 years. And then as college sports uh, evolved and progressed, the Ivy League slowly but surely fell back, fell back, fell back um, in football, in men's basketball, although we've seen surges as of late. What basketball coaches have described to me is we haven't heard for sure that we can't in theory play a non-conference game you know three days shy of Christmas as a hypothetical because it's all sports can't be played for the entire fall semester that's not necessarily until January but I had another coach say that we're not playing anything till January I've been told that we're not having any non-conference games it's just a matter of a formality at this point and that's significant in terms of scheduling or maybe it's just a big nothing because, as you said, GP, is this a bad harbinger for what's to come, specifically with men's basketball? And are we kicking the can down the road that you know we'll discover in five weeks, seven weeks, this is going to be the case across the sport? I worry that's the case. You've already had Rick Pitino tweet, and this was – GP, I think this has now been about two weeks since he said – he said, let's just push everything to January – only have us play conference games and go from there. I do think that's a possibility. We wait and see on what can happen across the country, Parrish. I, I, you know, Texas, there was a report, a superintendent uh, down in Texas says he doesn't think there's going to be a high school football season in Texas. In Texas! 
That, 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 could, that is arguably as impactful as anything that the Ivy Leagues could do, even as it relates to college athletics at whole, on the whole, GP. So I still hold out some hope that they're going to be able to have men's Division One college basketball in some forms in November and December, but make no mistake about it, combined with this news from the Ivy League and conversations that have been had at the you know, power conference level with those commissioners, they are beginning the early stages of having contingency plans because it could wind up being an inevitability because our country can't get its act together. And we are seeing daily records of positive cases. And until we can get that under control on the whole across the United States, it's obviously bad news for sports, but particularly college sports when you consider everything that has to go into it. The, the reason the Ivy League's announcement is getting as much attention as it's getting is not because many people are going to miss Ivy League football. Like, I don't even know if Ivy League students are going to miss Ivy League football. It just doesn't really register. The reason it's getting a lot of attention is because if you go back to March, specifically on March 10th, it was the Ivy League that was the first Division One conference that canceled its conference tournaments. Right. Um, that happened again on the morning of March 10th. That was a Tuesday morning. And when that announcement came down, it was ridiculed. It was mocked. I even got text messages from Ivy League coaches who were frustrated because they didn't understand why they couldn't just play the tournament without fans, which at the time is something that other conferences were considering. And, I just remember telling at least one Ivy League coach, like, I understand your frustration and I know your players are probably devastated because suddenly this opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament for many of them the first time and perhaps the last time um, has been ripped away abruptly. So I hear you, but I'm just going to assume that the university presidents wouldn't make a decision like this unless they felt like they had no choice. I'm just going to assume the people who run Ivy League institutions know what they're talking about. Maybe, just maybe, they're a little smarter than the rest of us. And I tweeted something along those lines on that Tuesday afternoon. I talked about it on radio after that. And obviously, 24 hours later, on that Wednesday night, is when Rudy Gobert tested positive. NBA suspends its season. Fast forward to the Thursday, March 12th, and every conference tournament was canceled and then the NCAA tournament was canceled. In other words, the Ivy league was the first division one conference to see what was coming and act definitively. And so now here we are again, and yet it is worth pointing out that this is not an apples to apples situation because the motivations as it relates to playing college football in the fall are vastly different from you know between the Ivy League mm -hmm. and say the SEC or the Big 12 or the Big 10 or any power conference. Um, like you mentioned accurately, uh, football's a money loser for the Ivy League. So when they cancel the season, they are not financially devastating their athletic departments. They're actually helping their athletic departments from a financial perspective. But if the SEC doesn't play football or the Big 10 doesn't play football, uh, you're talking about losing tens of millions of dollars per athletic department. It can be financially devastating. And so the Ivy League had no financial motivation to play football under less than ideal circumstances. So they choose not to. The SEC does have real motivations to play football. And that's why 
the SEC and the other power conferences are going to wait literally to the last minute, Mm -hmm. which should be sometime late this month or in early August to make a decision on what to do about football, because if they can play, they'd like to play. But I did think this quote from your fine senator there in the state of Connecticut, Richard Blumenthal, I thought this quote um, summarized everything uh, simply and but but accurately. He said, quote, there's absolutely nothing different between the Ivy League and any division except the money, end quote. And what I take that to mean is something that I fundamentally fundamentally believe. The Ivy League is not going to play football because they don't really have any money in the game, and they've just decided it's not safe to play football, period. They are focusing strictly on the health of student athletes and other people on college campuses. Um, If money was not a factor for the power conferences, we would not even be considering playing football in September. The only reason they're trying to do it is over money. And I'm not saying that should be completely dismissed. I understand we are living in a country where we all have to balance all sorts of things right now and weigh the pros against the cons. But if we play football in September, trust me when I tell you, it it won't be because we've deemed it safe or appropriate. It'll just be because um, they feel like from a financial perspective, they have no choice but to plow forward. And that, to loop this back to basketball, um, same scenario. If we start this college basketball season on time, it'll only be because they feel like we have no choice but to start it on time from a money perspective. The Ivy League, and if you really look at what the Ivy League release said and if you're listening to this uh, and you do it so via Apple Podcasts, check the the recap. Or maybe it's in Spotify and all of them. You can listen to the podcast wherever. I'll include a, a link to the official Ivy League release from Wednesday. These decisions are being dictated, as they should, by guidelines from not just the CDC, but again, this is the Ivy League we're talking about here, and the people that are... Uh, paid to work at those institutions that work in epidemiology and in public health with this, they are at the forefront of these discussions. And so the decisions are being made as it pertains to campus life on the whole. And oh, by the way, athletics just falls under that canvas when they do that. So that is what's dictating the Ivy League's decision to do this, to be first. They are guiding this. And don't underestimate, Parrish's points are correct, but I would not underestimate how the presidents and athletic directors at the Ivy Leagues, although they don't carry a lot of weight in college athletics at whole, these are still men and women who are uh, colleagues, contemporaries, and friends with plenty of other people at the power conference level, and they make no mistake about it. They are in contact with those people, and when you have those kinds of, of conversations and that information is passed along from the Ivy League level to the Big Ten or the ACC or the SEC or the Mountain West level, I think that can have an impact on how these decisions ultimately get made. Paris's point about money absolutely is on the button there, and Eventually, the conferences, the power conferences, are going to have to make some sort of decision based upon public health risk because, be it football or basketball or any sport, I think collectively we have, pro-college sports, we've gotten to a point where we are just desperate to have it back. The, the, the economy of this country relies on sports in so many ways, NFL by far more than any other, but the disaster is if you have a player, a coach, anyone connected to any of these programs 
wind up in the hospital. God forbid they die from coronavirus. Okay, we were we were once at a point where Rudy Gobert tested positive and it effectively shut down sports within 24 hours. Now we've gotten to a point where the virus is so widespread. We get positive. You had Ohio State shutting down voluntary workouts. You got North Carolina. This is in the past 24 hours, GP. This has just become a way of life here. Louisville um, also. Louisville as well. Exactly. And we've been fortunate that despite there being, you know, us cruising to 200,000 deaths, you know, depending on the models you want to look at, could, could double that number by the end of the year. We've been fortunate that this has not directly touched any one specific sport but in the college sphere if it does you are talking about an immediate shutdown situation and i think from the ivy league's perspective they are saying appropriately so no 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 we're not even getting to that point it's july 8th these are the decisions we're going to make for the health of our students that are on campus you can still do workouts in appropriate distances in measured with measured requirements, but we are not going to even consider any of our fall sports to be allowed to be played in any formal capacity. And I think that kind of thinking is going to ultimately win out with college football because the downside is a drastic downside. And we are just, unfortunately, our our country, G. Parrish, we are not at a point like the Premier League, which had zero positive tests earlier this week, and other countries where you look at the positive test case, the death totals, they are so, so – they, it's we we dwarf them. They, they are dwarfed compared to our numbers overall, and so that's why I think this is inevitability with college football. I can't speak more confidently with basketball only because it's still two and a half months out, and I'd like to see where we are – Parish probably by end of August. I don't have a lot of confidence will be better, but I like I at least like to see where we are then, uh, as opposed to now. Yeah, the big issue here is that, and you you touched on this earlier. Our, our country has mishandled on a national level this entire pandemic, I, embarrassingly so. I saw this tweet last night. You bring up the Premier League. Uh, obviously, MLS got going uh, on Wednesday night with the MLS's back tournament, and. FC Dallas has already been removed from the event because of positive tests. Nashville had to have its first game postponed mm-hmm. because of positive tests. Uh, between FC Dallas and Nashville alone, just those two, and this is from Ben Baby on Twitter last night, um, just those two for, uh, clubs have had 19 positive COVID-19 tests. The entire English Premier League has reported 19 positive tests through 11 rounds of testing that started on May 17th. Amazing. That's that's how far behind we are. And you'd like to think that with these numbers spiking in more than half of our states, including the state in which I live, that people would no longer be skeptical that this is real and also understand the importance of wearing a mask because regardless of what doctor you talk to, they'll tell you a mask does help decrease the spread of the virus. And yet I can just tell you this. My wife owns a children's store and she, the store is located in a city where there is not a mask ordinance. Now it is two miles from Memphis, Tennessee, where there is a mask ordinance right now. If you're out in public, you have to wear a mask. If you're inside a public building or or like a store, you need to wear a mask. But in the city in which my wife's store is in, there is no mask ordinance. But still, like she wants to be responsible and do her part. 
So she wears a mask. Her employees wear masks. And she has put a table in front of her store with a sign on it that says, um, you know, in the most polite way possible, a mask is required for entrance because we're trying to do our part to keep our employees and our customers safe. Um, It's got hand sanitizer on the table. So please sanitize your hands. And if you don't have your own mask, hey, here's a mask for you. Like she has free masks to give to people. And just yesterday, she said seven customers refused to come into her store who were coming into her store because they would not even put a free mask on. That's that's where I live. And that's why there is no reason to think we're going to turn this quickly enough to get sports started in the way that they are scheduled to start. And oh, by the way, I don't know if you saw this, but our friend Brett McMurphy from Stadium, he did a survey back in March or April, I guess it was April, where he talked to 130 athletic directors, all right? Talked with them, email, text, whatever it was, but he had made contact with them. And he did the same thing over the past week. And what he reported this morning is that nearly 75% of the athletic directors he spoke with or asked believe that football season will be delayed. Three out of four believe now believe okay. that football season will be delayed. 36% of the 130 athletic directors he contacted said that football season will be conference games only. In April, he reported only one athletic director told him that he thought there would be no season, no college football season. Now, eight different athletic directors told him that they believe there will be no college football season in the 2020 21 academic year and just to loop this back around the basketball since this is the ion college basketball podcast if we're not playing football in september or october we're not playing basketball in november like you can i I would bet a significant amount of money and i'll just i tweeted this earlier um i haven't talked to 130 athletic directors but i've talked to a lot of basketball coaches the text message or actually on the phone almost none of them still believe the college basketball season will start on time. Yeah, I've talked to two coaches in the past week, and they privately expressed massive cynicism there will be a season. <laughs> now, those are the only – it's not a widespread belief yet, but um, not, not exactly inspiring. And uh, you know, one of the Ivy League coaches I spoke with on Wednesday, he said, if things don't get better, we're not even going to play basketball – you know, we're just holding out hope we can play basketball at this point. And, uh, you know, if we can, um, probably mostly in league play. And that comes with another set of issues that we'll deal with on a different podcast down the road there. But um, I'm glad we opened with this because although Wednesday's news with the Ivy League mostly pertain to football and fall sports, uh, college basketball was legitimately affected. I mean, you have every single Ivy League program that is helping fill other teams' schedules. Those games are now gone, and those programs make anywhere from four hundred to $500,000 each season in guarantee game money. And all of that, uh, most of it, if not all of it, is now going to be gone. And now we just wait and see, and we should learn. I, GP, I agree with you. I think by the end of the month we have to know this. Uh, I don't think it's avoidable. Um, if the Ivy League will again have been the first, and that if all other conferences and schools will soon there follow, um, football is particularly interesting because of the way the schedule is, is set up, and 
there aren't as many non-conference games. So if they get to that point, there's still flexibility. Uh, if you want to push it back to like, okay, here's what my guess is, and then we can move on to other topics. My guess is this. By the end of the month, we're going to learn that essentially every single conference is going to go to league games only for the 2020 season. And the reason for that is because conferences can dictate their own protocols and there's inherent le- there's an inherent level of trust within your own league it also reduces travel so if we're going to be able to still salvage a season hopefully we're only going to play league games and kind of take it from there and that also allows you to push back the start of the season three if not four weeks and still hold out hope now we might not have a season in general in football gp but my expectation my my guess is that when we get to the next major headline sport ranging headline in college football that's what we're going to have because you can't not have all right um the MAC, Conference USA, Mountain West, and Pac-12 have decided they're going to uh, either not play or go to conference games. That affects other teams' schedules as is, and so I think there's going to be a collective decision made at the Group 5 level and at the Power 5 level that says, you know what, this is now a situation we can't control in our country, and we're going to just move the goalpost, pun intended, and say we're only going to play league games, and with that we'll try and start the season in October. That's my guess. We'll wait and see on that. I agree with you. If we don't have football in October, we're not having basketball in November, but I don't think we're going to get an answer on that for at least one month. My guess for basketball, my guess for football would be conference games only starting after the new year. My guess for basketball would also be conference games only, Mm -hmm. shortened season starting after the new year. And here's why. Um, You know, if you look at a power program, power conference programs, non-league schedule, it is largely going to be by games. Like I just randomly went and and grabbed Louisville's schedule from last season. They played 11 non-league games. Seven of them were by games. Seven of the 11 were by games. Now, let me explain to people what that means and why it makes sense on multiple levels to not play those types of games these year, this, this season. What a buy game is, is when a power, usually a power conference school pays another school to come play it. No strings, nothing tied to it. You just, here's a check, come play us in our building. We don't have to return the game. Because if you had to do deals where it was home and home with everybody, you would only be able to have a certain amount of home games every year because just as often as you were at home, in theory, you would be on the road. That's bad for schools trying to sell big season ticket packages. So what a school like Louisville or Kentucky or Kansas or most power conference schools do is they buy opponents to build a season ticket schedule. And let's just say, and these numbers are just big round numbers I picked out. It it might be 60,000 or 120,000, but I just picked big numbers to make the point. What Louisville would do is say pay um, Austin P $100,000 to come play us. Now come play us. And so you write that check. Now that's a home game that you get to sell in your season ticket package. Then let's say you sell, and this is a low number for Louisville, but it's a normal number for lots. Let's say you sell 8,000 season tickets and you have an average ticket price of 30 bucks. Well, that's $240,000 in ticket sales for that one game that cost you $100,000 to create. In other words, these buy games for power conferences are money makers. Now, fast forward to the present, in the middle of a pandemic. We don't know if we're going to play games. There's no scenario where you're filling up your arena with fans. That's just not going to happen. You might not have fans at all. 
So these buy games suddenly are not money makers. They're money losers. Why do you want to play them? Beyond that, and I've had multiple coaches bring this up, a program like Kentucky or Kansas or Ohio State is going to have plenty of money to test, 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 test all the time. Smaller conference programs are not going to have that same kind of money to spend. That means they're not going to test as often. So if you're Ohio State and you're testing and positive test, quarantining, isolating, test, 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 positive test, quarantine, isolate, test, 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 you are going about it as safely and responsibly as you can. Why on earth do they then want to bring in a smaller conference team that maybe has 13 players that haven't been tested in a week? To, why do you want to bring them to your campus to play a basketball game against your student athletes when you have no idea who's carrying the virus and who isn't? So it's a money loser to play these games. It's probably, from a medical perspective, um, irresponsible to play these games. And that's why I'll be shocked if these buy games are played. And if the buy games aren't played, that's the that's most people's, that's the majority of the power conference teams. Uh, non-league schedule. So let's just not play non-league schedules at all. That would be the way I think this probably goes down. Yeah, I uh, I think that's entirely reasonable. And then when we get to that point down the road, we can discuss it further. But um, pushing it to the start of January slash second semester, perhaps there's going to be some discrepancies in that would not, uh, would not surprise me. But we need a little more time before those decisions wind up getting made. So we got plenty of time to talk about college basketball pandemic development. So we'll do that as we move forward. Let's move on now. Since we last recorded, McCurr Maker did something unique for a five-star prospect. We'll get into that next. But first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So since we last recorded, McCarran Maker, a five-star prospect, did something unique for a recruit of his level. He committed to a HBCU, specifically Howard. Uh, Norlander, I don't know if you saw him. He was on first take this morning with Max Kellerman and Stephen A. Smith. Um, really, I thought, handled himself well. Seems like a really impressive, super impressive young guy and uh, seems like he is not just verbally committed, but actually committed to more than likely withdrawing from the NBA draft and actually playing for Howard. This has gotten a lot of attention. How big of a development is it? I think it's a, it's a significant development. I mean, factually, he's the first elite men's basketball prospect to commit to a historical black college or university in more than four decades. That on its face is significant. And I don't know if you saw – and I – I don't follow college football recruiting whatsoever, so I don't know how much this played into this uh, young man's decision or not. But on Wednesday, what was interesting, so on June 3rd, last Friday, Maker makes his commitment. 
And then on Wednesday, there's a, a football player named Corey Foreman. He's the number one overall football recruit in the class of 2021. On his finalist list is Howard, alongside Alabama, Clemson, LSU, Georgia, USC. I'm forgetting another one. There might be some crossover fans that know this. Going, forgetting my apologies for that. Um, but it, I don't find that to be mere coincidence. And uh, and in fact, in Foreman's you know tweet revealing it, uh, he clearly indicated that you know he wants to be someone whose decisions can make an impact and wants to to shed a light uh, and more attention on, on HBCU. So that's awesome. So potentially we're seeing an immediate impact with Makers' decision there. Um, there's a few things that that have come up as questions in light of all of this. One, is he is he going to play at Howard? And th- that goes back to what we just talked about. Will there be a season for him to do this? There's also skepticism behind the scenes as to whether or not uh, he's going to wind up playing it for Howard, period, because who knows what we're going to see still happen with the NBA draft. He initially uh, was on the path to do that, and I don't know. I would love to see it happen. Um, he's definitely believable. Uh, I believe him. I believe his words when he says this. He went on first take. He went on uh, the ESPN Daily podcast with Pablo Torre. He said, independence to me means freedom to choose. He's going on a mini-media tour because July 9th, Thursday, is South Sudan's Independence Day. His parents are from South Sudan. Uh, Maker was born in Kenya, then spent uh, much of his life in Australia, and then in the past half decade has spent his time in the United States and, frankly, bouncing from school to school. And it's because of that I reached out to Brian Snow, who helps lead up 247's recruiting coverage in men's basketball. And I wanted to ask him, because I wrote a story that's going to be that's going to be up by the time you listen to this at cbsports.com about, okay, McCormaker has committed to Howard. Are others going to follow? And something that Snow had told me was, when you look at this kind of decision, and you, when you look at how commitments are made in men's basketball, what can often be an influencing factor is you have a certain number of kids in a given class who are, you know, for lack of a better term, influencers, and that's my that's my term, not Snows. Maker's just not that guy. He's played for a bunch of different teams, been at different schools, and he is not looked at the way that an Imani Bates or Mikey Williams, the number one player in 2023, are in that players their age that play against those players are still, they, they look up to them. And Maker just isn't well-connected, hasn't been well-connected on the grassroots circuit. So if he's if his decision is going to mean something, I think ultimately he's got to get to Howard. He's got to be allowed to have the chance to have a season to play next season and allow 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds that are still kind of going through this process to see him play, see if he can take a team that won four games a season ago, GP, and turn it into a MEAC power. Like, all right, you're going to go do this. Players still want to win. You know, they want to be able to be seen on TV, have a chance to go and make it to the league. So they're going to look at him and say, did he go to Howard and turn that program around, make an NCAA tournament, improve his draft stock, tangible things that do get at the heart of why so many top 50 prospects choose to play at top 10 programs by and large there. So it will be pretty interesting. Um, But he did say, Maker said, 
believe and hear what I say. He said this on the ESPN Daily Podcast with Pablo Torre. He said, believe and hear what I say. I'm not a person who's going to say one thing and do the other. I trust my work. I'm in the gym every single day, and I'm not afraid about the moment. People are thinking this is a sacrifice I'm making. It's not a sacrifice. So he's all in on Howard. I think it's an awesome story, and I really, really, really hope that he is playing next season. We get a chance for him to do that because that's that is skyrocketed up my list of – of reasons why I most want to have a season is to get to see him in a Howard uniform and see if he can change the, the the trajectory of that program, which, by the way, has a highlighted game scheduled in January at home against Notre Dame. I believe we mentioned this on the podcast, but Kenny Blakeney, who is now the coach at Howard, played at Duke when he played at Duke. Mike Bray was an assistant coach. Mike Bray is going to take his Notre Dame Fighting Irish and for the first time in program history play on the road against an HBCU. I thought another thing McCurmaker said this morning that was interesting was that he was always considering this. Like he visited Howard in the fall, which is before Memorial Day, which is before the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis that sparked a real, you know, sort of second civil rights movement in our country. But he did acknowledge that that contributed to him actually pulling the trigger on this, that these times that we are living in right now, which I, I, again, just thought was an interesting uh, thing to hear come from his mouth. I've been asked a lot over the past week, like, do you think, you've been asked the same thing, do you think this is a start of a trend where other five-star prospects go to HBCUs? And I, I guess my answer would be, I, I don't know. Um, I'd love to see it, but I'm not sure. Because I, I really think the the biggest thing that HBCUs will have to overcome to make this more of a common thing um, it, it's not reliant on McCurr Maker being great at Howard, although that would obviously help. Like, how many five star prospects, and I'm just asking this from a sincere place, are going to be willing to give up on the opportunity to play on national television twice a week? Mm-hmm. Give up on the opportunity to take chartered flights to every road game? Give up on the opportunity to play in packed arenas um, that power conferences can provide? Like, it's one thing to say you want to go to an HBCU for all of the right and obvious reasons. And I respect it immensely. But when you do that, at least under these circumstances, you are giving up a lot that is attractive to most elite level basketball prospects. And so I think the next step for HBCU programs is to, You've got to have a better television presence. You you got you got to have something where you're not asking somebody to take themselves off of television for their entire college career when they have options that don't ask them to do that. Um, and some of that might have to do with scheduling. And so, I, I think this is a real time when you see um, black head coaches who have the power to schedule however they want. You know, Shaka Smart. Mike Boynton, Patrick Ewing, all of whom have made statements, you know, in, in, you know, as it relates to this movement, Hey, you, you are, you are somebody who is now in a position of power to help HBCUs. You can schedule them. If you want to, you can take your team there if you want to. And so I would love to see uh, obviously all head coaches, but especially the black head coaches who are, who are in a position of power, working in a power conference, like you really have an opportunity here to help these programs. You insist you want to help where there's one obvious way to do it. Take the Texas Longhorns on the road. 
take the Georgetown Hoyas on the ra- road, take the Oklahoma State Cowboys on the road, so on and so forth. Yeah, to me, uh, I think it falls just as much on a Mike Krzyzewski at Duke or Roy Williams in North Carolina, sure. like it, particularly the most prominent uh, white coaches in the sport being willing to do that. Uh, I don't know how likely this is going to be. It would be a wonderful plot twist if we if we saw not just like the season after this one and the one after. I'm talking if we look up in seven years and there has been so much positive progressive change for equality in so many different facets and walks of life in and outside of sports. But if we just came to look at a team's resume when it was time to evaluate them for the NCAA tournament, and we look at the Oregon Ducks, and we see, well, you know, they've got a good case for being in, but when you look at it, they did drop that game when they played against Bethune-Cookman. Like, I know that's not, it's not more likely than not to happen, but that's not to say that it, it absolutely cannot happen. And if we want to lift up HBCUs, which are the schools that by far get hurt the most in terms of revenue, television exposure, um, APR sanctions across the board, resources, you name it. You want to lift them up, being willing to schedule them and schedule them with flexibility. HBCUs like, like the paycheck. I mean, there have been story after story over the decades about how, uh, particularly when Mike Davis at Texas Southern, would take... 13 straight road games against power conference opponents because those games paid for the entire athletic department for the like the entire year GP. So there was a benefit to that. But if you're willing to occasionally say, you know what, we're going to go to your barn, play you there, and with that provide a television opportunity, I think it would be a, a, a pretty good thing. So your points are definitely accurate on that uh, in that respect there. But I'd, I hope we get a season, and I hope that Maker is in a, is in a Howard uniform and is able to play, and we can see we we can actually see it. GP, you know, it would be such a shame if we don't get a season. He, you know, he commits, it comes and goes, and then uh, among many other tragedies, if you will, that would come with not having a college basketball season and an NCAA tournament. Let's not even approach that. But if that were to happen, um, what he's done here. Uh, it would be a big opportunity loss just for the tangible evidence of seeing him play in a uniform on television and what successes could come from that. Uh, I really hope that we uh, we get to see it. Right. Like, obviously, Mike Krzyzewski, Duke, can get anything on television. So, like, let's go play at North Carolina Central. Like, let, like if you really want to yes. lift these programs up, let's go to North Carolina Central and let's bring ESPN with us. Like, John Calipari can get anything. John Calipari can get a trip to the Bahamas for exhibitions on ESPN. Like, you know, all John's got to do is pick up the phone. Let's go. Let's go to Tennessee State and let's play and let's bring ESPN with us. And so I hope that um, the, the the coaches who are in real positions of power, if you really want to, you know, explore ways to lift up these HBCUs and try to help them be everything they can be. Well, that is one obvious and tangible way to do it. So um, hopefully more people will go down that path. My last thing before we move on, I did, I did speak about a month ago with Mo Williams, obviously of, of an NBA champion, played with LeBron James, and he is now, uh, he's now the coach at Alabama State. And he, uh, you know, he grew up all of a few miles from Jackson State. He comes from a family of nothing, but his parents, uncles, siblings all attended uh, HBCUs, and he was – 
very fired up. And that at that moment, like, you know, McCormaker playing for Howard, that we, we talked more than a month ago about all this. And I think having someone like that, uh, an NBA veteran, Lindsey Hunter's another NBA veteran coaching at an HBCU. I think that attracting coaching candidates who have professional backgrounds and have connections also I think can – can have some positive impact there. We'll just wait and see on that going forward. But I did want to mention that because specifically I had a conversation about this very thing with Mo Williams, and he is uh, super motivated. We haven't heard a ton from him just yet. He just got the job. But if we look up a year from now and uh, this general storyline has progressed even more so, I would anticipate that Mo Williams will be one of the most prominent voices pushing forward real progress for HBCUs. All right, before we get out of here, one more topic. Former Penn State player Rasir Bolton, now at Iowa State, made headlines this week when he publicly said that he transferred because Penn State coach Pat Chambers once told him he had a, quote, noose around his neck. We're going to get into that next, but first, a short break. Uh, thanks, JP. I'll take it from here. Hey, UFC 251 are better known as UFC Fight Island. I love this concept. It's set to have arguably the biggest card of the year this weekend, and the State of Combat podcast has all of it covered. Brian Campbell, who does a great job covering combat sports for CBS Sports, he's on with UFC Hall of Famer Rashad Evans. There's been a preview podcast already posted to the feed on Monday, and there's plenty more. There's a picks pod that's already published as well. So follow the event Saturday because Brian Campbell is going to be there to give you full and Instant reaction and podcast form for UFC 251. That's the State of Combat podcast, and it's available wherever podcasts are found. All right, GP, let's go back to it. Former Penn State player Rasir Bolton, now at Iowa State, made headlines this week when he publicly said that he transferred because Penn State coach Pat Chambers once told him he had a, quote, noose around his neck. Norlander, you wrote about this. I'll let you handle the details. Bolton came out with... Uh, the story on Monday of this week, it was uh, published uh, by Jesse Washington, a writer with The Undefeated. And the reason we are even talking about this was Bolton saw earlier in the spring that Pat Chambers was one of a, of many coaches that was speaking on, a, on a, a Zoom panel for the NABC about racial equality and pushing this movement forward. And when he saw that, um, it just didn't sit well with him because he r- distinctly recalled all the reasons that led to why he wanted to transfer from Penn State. But the central issue here is that back in 2019, um, Pat Chambers approached Bolton and used the phrase, quote, I want to loosen the noose that's around your neck, end quote. Uh, Pat Chambers has admitted to using the phrase and has subsequently put out, obviously put out a statement, apologized. Um, he told the undefeated in the story, I quote, I didn't realize that word would hurt him, and I am truly, truly sorry for that. Bolton and his parents dispute that Chambers uh, officially or properly apologized back shortly after uh, the comment was made. So this is the first... The second, really, the second incident. Danny Casper, uh, down at Texas State, has been uh, accused of racially inappropriate comments, and there, there was or is an ongoing investigation. We have got, we have received no updates from that institution yet about that. And then Pat Chambers becomes the second coach to be um, caught up uh, in what has rightfully been an elevated sense of discussion about 
uh, racist comments or racially inappropriate comments. There's no reason for Chambers to ever say what he said. Um, him admitting that he didn't realize the word would hurt him. Ignorance is not an excuse. Uh, you know, Bolton was not calling for him to, f- to be fired. Pat Chambers is not going to be fired. Pat Chambers should not be fired. What, what we saw happen on Monday, in my opinion, Parrish, is exactly how it should be. If a player goes through something and chooses to disclose or not to s- disclose it, it is their choice, okay? Rasir Bolton lived with this for more than a year and didn't make it public, and that is entirely fine. When he saw an action from his former coach that made him uncomfortable, he said, I'm going to speak out about this to clear my conscience because I think it's the right thing to do. He does so. All of the information is verified on the record. Chambers receives public ridicule from this. He doesn't lose his job over it. It is a learning opportunity, and he can go forward now, hopefully with a much higher sense of what is and is not appropriate as a coach, as a white coach predominantly coaching black players. There have been plenty, a majority of Penn State players who have come out in support of Chambers as they should if they feel if that's the right thing to do, and that's what's happened, including Miles Dredd, who was Bolton's roommate, and at the time that Chambers made this statement, Chambers was actually serving and was handed down a one-game suspension because he was caught on camera during a game shoving Dredd in, in a moment of, uh, of frustration, not to be excused. Chambers was was sanctioned for that act, and it all came. Uh, all of this stuff came uh, within the same period of time there. So, to me, um, I thought exactly how the story played out is how it should be. This isn't cancel culture. This is a coach saying the wrong thing. The player having the ability to speak out on it when he feels it's most comfortable doing so. The coach receiving criticism, ridicule, some light being shed on it. Him acknowledging the problem. Hopefully, moving forward and educating himself and his staff and everyone connected to him in the process. And then we arrive here. Receiver Bolton, by the way, uh, transferred to Iowa State where he was granted immediate eligibility because he presented his case. The reasons why he transferred. The NCAA rightfully said, you're good to go. You can play right away. He was one of the most important players for C. Prohm's Iowa State team last season. And should we have a season next season, he should be a standout guard as a junior. You said ignorance is not an excuse. And that's exactly right. It's not. But it can be an explanation. And I think that is the obvious explanation here. That Pat Chambers was just ignorant to how his comments would sit with a young black man. And I say that as respectfully as I can say it, like the definition of ignorant is lacking knowledge or awareness. Like that, that's what this is. This is a coach who was using terms. He didn't even know how they would play with the person he was talking to. In addition to the news comment, uh, as the story goes, Pat met with Russell Bolton's parents and how the meeting went, whatever. But afterward, according to Rasir, Coach, you know, Pat told him that he was really uh, impressed or surprised that his parents were so well-spoken and organized, which is an obvious insult. You know, this is one I've been railing on for years. Every once in a while, I'll have a, 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 a black athlete on my radio show. Let's say it's Jaron Jackson Jr., And like some person who's like an actual Grizzlies fan will tweet me and say, oh, I love that interview with Jaron. He's so well-spoken. Like what? Like, well, why wouldn't he be? I mean, the implication is like, you can't believe he speaks so well. Like if I have Grayson Allen on, nobody will tweet me and say Grayson Allen was well-spoken. But for 
I was going to say for whatever reason, but we know the reason. If Jaron Jackson Jr. is on or if John Morant's on, somebody will say, ooh, well-spoken. And I promise you that person doesn't think they're being insulting. They think they're delivering a compliment. And it comes from a place of ignorance. And so I'm with you. Um, You know, Pat owned this pretty quickly, very publicly, um, apologized, and then said he will learn from it. And I'm going to take him at his word. Just like when Drew Brees, you know, went through what he went through as it relates to kneeling uh, during the national anthem, he owned it. He apologized and he said, I'm going to learn from it. And then within 48 hours, he was standing up to the president of the United States on Twitter. We are in a time right now where it's very important for people who have operated from a position of ignorance to acknowledge that and learn from it. And if Pat is willing to do that, I'm certainly willing to allow him to do it. I agree. And, uh, you know, Going forward, hopefully Pat can be more of a of a champion for a lot of black causes here because this is a great opportunity not just for him to learn, but to but then to be uh, a voice that can say, "I did wrong, I learned from it, and here's how I want to help be be an active ally," um, which is what I think he was trying to do when he was part of the NABC panel to begin with, but. Uh, while his intentions might have been good, he did not anticipate or, again, might have been ignorant to the fact that, okay, I know what I went through with one of my former black players by serving on this and not disclosing what had happened. He didn't anticipate potential fallout from that, and that's why we are where we are here. Uh, as we close, we got to wrap the podcast here, GP, because we're both on a uh, time constraint. Um, it has been great to see. You know, Mike Krzyzewski came out with a forceful, direct, just – amazing video almost two weeks ago and since then we've seen North Carolina do it more and more programs come out and have these statements about racial equality anti-racism the Black Lives Matter movement so we are seeing more of those uh, as the weeks go by and it is a good indicator that although the moment isn't as inflamed as it was a month ago the conversation and action still seem to be uh, buzzing and moving forward, and so that's been nice to see amid many uh, many other concerns about scheduling and holding sports and the coronavirus. Uh, we have not lost the grip on all of this, and I think uh, no small part of that can come on behalf of sports teams, college sports teams as well. And it's been nice to see college basketball coaches and a few programs continue that in the past couple of weeks. All right, let's get out of here. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to. Terry, MF and Teagle, he's legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you for listening once again in the middle of a pandemic. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell one person about it. And if you're not subscribed already, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts. I'd appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. Stay safe. Put your stupid mask on and we'll talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care.